Thank you, God, that you do not leave us to be aimless, but Lord, your spirit comes alongside, attesting to, approving to, and um, just tilling the soil of our hearts, speaking truth to us, Lord, transforming us into your likeness, and we ask that that would be so evident today, that as we read your word and open your word, Lord, that you would conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Have your work within us. We ask in your awesome, able, powerful, saving name. Amen. Well, I'm thankful today to bring to you all um, officially. Last week I began by giving a little bit of a precursor to our study, our series that we're going to begin officially today, which is the book of Hebrews. Um, And before we open up the text and we look at it, I want to just remind you all of what I had said last week, because again, I want to just continue to keep that in the forefront of your minds as you're going through this study as we look at Hebrews together. And I do hope that some of you took uh, the opportunity to read Hebrews chapter one, as I had encouraged, as I had encouraged you to do last week. Um, Just getting a, a sense of the truth of the word into our hearts and minds and being front-footed in our approach to the series, not just waiting for us, myself, or one of the other elders to bring what we believe God is speaking, but to allow the Lord to speak to you on your own, of course, as he does. So I hope that you had a chance to do that. Um, So as we launch into it this morning, I want to just, again, remind you of the three things that I brought last week that I believe God is speaking to us as a faith community and calling us to grow in maturity in. There was three things, and they are this. He's calling us to grow in our knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus. Grow in our knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus. He's also calling us to grow in our knowledge of the sufficiency of Jesus, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, I believe the Lord is calling us to grow in our persevering faith. Learning how to grow, learning how to persevere. That's such a timely word, a timely reality, and a timely truth for us as believers in this day and age, but of course also the days in which are to come. So again, I'm going to continually at various points just bring those to you as a reminder so that we're looking for them the threads of them. And I believe today's text is going to be very easy to identify one, if not a couple, of those. And so at this point in time, I want to ask for you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And I'm going to read chapter 1. If you don't have the, uh, the text of ESV, you can follow along as we put it on the monitor for you. This is Hebrews, chapter 1. This is the Word of God. I begin with the title, The Supremacy of God's Son. Hebrews 1.1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, 
You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay attention, excuse me, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In a time within history, when relativism has become normative in forming the basis of culture's understanding, where absolutes are questioned and authority outside of self-autonomy is often shirked. There's two words within this portion of our text which help to form part of the foundation for our studies in Hebrews. And before we began this morning, Kevin and I were just talking and he's, he had mentioned that he had opened up Hebrews to begin to read and he found himself just absolutely come to a, a full stop at the very beginning of the word God. There's two words that I want to begin by concentrating on, and they are the words, God spoke. It's easy as we read this text, especially with the brilliance of which the writer of Hebrews lays out the first handful of verses within Hebrews chapter one. It's easy to move past this, but there is some absolute profundity in the truth that God spoke. And I want to just concentrate on that this morning as we begin. And I'm going to dive straight in because I have a lot that I want to say within the time that is left here this morning. And I want to re reflect upon these two words because with them, I believe, comes the full weight of not only the revelation of God's existence, in these two words, God spoke, is not only behind it, just the weight of the revelation of God's existence, but also the revelation of his power, his sovereignty, and providential care. These two words, God spoke, reveals so much to the Christian heart and speaks so clearly about God's intention. It communicates 
revelation of being. For God, it personalizes the existence of our creator, God. And in it, there's a revelation of his will through action that he spoke. He didn't just exist, but he also acted and spoke and revealed to all of mankind his intended will. And I believe that the writer of Hebrews, again, understanding his audience so well, being Jewish Christians, being those so familiar with the Old Covenant, and we'll see as we go through Hebrews, the the myriad of Old Testament references brought in to the New Covenant truth. The writer of Hebrews, knowing this, I believe, finds within his language of God spoke echoes of Genesis chapter 1. Intentional, not just coincidence. He's bringing to the reader an idea and a picture of creation's history, beginning again with not only the revelation of a being, with not only the revelation of God himself, but also with the same power of his word and proclamation of his will. Let's look at it together. Just to remind ourselves, Genesis chapter 1. May we guard our hearts from becoming so familiar with Scripture that we miss or just move past the majesty and the excellence that it brings to our hearts. Genesis chapter 1, just listen to this language. In the beginning, what do we have? God. And what did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and what? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke. Revelation in Genesis is is the same that the writer of Hebrews is instilling this picture of the revelation of God himself and also the revelation of his will and his power and his sovereignty. I don't think that the significance of these two words can be overstated. See, listen, because God spoke, answers this question, is there a creator, and can that creator be known? Those two words, is there a creator, and can that creator be known? As to its significance, Richard Phillips, he's part of the Gospel Coalition, he says this, listen to this, the significance of God spoke. Unless God has spoken, we cannot even be sure he is there. Unless God has spoken, we cannot even be sure that he is there. Unless God is there, there is no ultimate hope for us as individuals. And therefore, no answer for the ultimate problem of death. So, so brilliant how he ties just the simple revelation of God revealing himself to the connection of our need for a savior. See, God speaking without God speaking, there's no measure of holiness or righteousness for us as human beings. Without the revelation of God's 
perfect moral standard. There's nothing to fall short to. And if there's nothing to fall short to, then there's no need for a savior. And we are left, of course, just to ourselves. So again, I don't believe that we can overstate the significance of how Hebrews begins its letter. God spoke. In addition, as followers of Jesus, this truth of God speaking not only signifies his existence, not only attests to his power and to his ability, but listen, it points our hearts as believers. It points us to the source of our own personal knowledge of his revealed will, which is what? It's scripture. It's the Bible. It points us to the revelation of God. God speaking, this is the written, spoken word of God. And not only that, but Scripture also reveals to us the intent of God for the world around us. With the revelation of God through his written word comes the assertion that truth can be apprehended, that truth does in fact exist, that it can be known, that it can be applied. It combats, as I said a moment ago, this, this spirit and this ideology that culture elevates of relativism and self-knowing and self-attestation to truth. God speaking just undercuts that whole idea. But just as important and significant as this matter of him speaking, I would say more significant and more important is the content of what he spoke. And just 16 words later, what does it say? It says that God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So there's the revelation of God himself. There's the revelation of his power. There's the revelation of his will. And it culminates with it, it, the pinnacle of that revelation. What did God speak? He spoke his son, Jesus. It doesn't say that he spoke of his son. It says that he spoke by his son. Listen to me, please. If you get just a few things this morning, please get this, that Jesus the Christ is the final word of God's revelation to mankind. Jesus Christ is the final word of revelation to mankind. This morning, I wanna just entitle this teaching based off of that. Jesus is the last and Jesus is the best. Jesus is the last and Jesus is the best. To elevate, this is what I'm endeavoring to do this morning, to elevate our eyes and our hearts to see rightly and to understand where Jesus sits today. Not where we think he sits today, but where he actually is enthroned. As the writer of Hebrews says, he sat down next to the majesty on high. Let's lift our eyes and our hearts to that place of understanding today where Jesus currently is. And in so doing, as I said last week, we are increasing and we're growing in our knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus. Church, 
to know and to believe and to profess and to live this truth that Jesus Christ is superior to all things in heaven and on earth is to understand rightly our position, the church's position, the the unregenerate world's position in light of God's intent and desire. This is what I believe God wants to speak to us today. So he has spoken to us, and not only has he spoken to us, but he has spoken to us Jesus, the best, the supreme, the superior. Jesus, the final word of God's revelation to mankind. There is none that could be or would be added, there, nor any that would follow after. It is Jesus only and solely. In light of what? Or concerning what? Anything. Salvation, Jesus. Sufficiency, Jesus. Hope, Jesus. Joy, Jesus. Anxiety, the answer is Jesus. Fear, it's Jesus. Jesus, the final word of God. Even to this day, too, it wasn't just then, but it's also now as well. He continues to speak the better word to us today. Scripture doesn't just speak about Jesus, telling us great stories about his life on earth or what kind of person he was, inviting us to get to know Jesus. That is not what Scripture is doing. No, instead God reveals to us the glory of himself through the revelation of his son. Through the scriptures, through the created world, by his Holy Spirit, we as believers come to know and also to see God's final and ultimate revelation for the world and for ourselves. See, this is part of the purpose of Hebrews. Understanding how this revelation, how it changes our lives and calls us into a faithful pursuit of living for him. But shouldn't shouldn't that also, we understand and realize that that too is the case with all of scripture. It's not just what we know, but it's how scripture is then applied. And as I began in prayer, before we read this morning, It's to bring us into conformity and to transform our thinking in our minds and therefore our actions into Christ-likeness. This is the purpose of Scripture, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is calling for us, which again, to remind us, as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, what is the result? But then we ourselves Find the ability by the grace of God to, pers- to pursue a faith that is persevering. It's the understanding which in turn results in application. This revelation, so it changes our life and it calls us to a faithful pursuit of living for him. As followers of Jesus, as the many sons and daughters who would come after him, as those who have put their faith in him, we are beneficiaries and benefactors of the inheritance of the new and better covenant that God established through his son, Jesus Christ. The new 
and the better. See, this is what Hebrews is getting at. Again, these Jewish Christians that knew and understood the old covenant, God's covenant with Israel. They understood all of the rites and the practices, the sacrifices and the rituals, the things that were good and instituted by God that were requirements to allow them to stay in covenant and in communion with God himself. They understood and they knew all these things. And so now the writer of Hebrews is saying, be careful lest you fall away from the new and better covenant and back to the old again. And so he's doing and his intent is to show to us how Jesus is not only the best, but he's the final. He's the ultimate Word and revelation of God himself. Church, may we have the same high view and understanding of who Jesus is. How simple this truth seems, but yet how deep and broad is its implication for our life. And so we have that God spoke, and then we have that God spoke not just word, but that he spoke Jesus the better and final word, but let me look at this now. What did God say? As the final word of God's revelation, Jesus is also the superior word, and therefore so is everything that he reveals and everything that he brings is superior. There's three contrasts that are given that we can see, and I'm just gonna look, as you might have already noticed, We're really just going to concentrate on the first four verses today of Hebrews chapter 1. But there's three contrasts that I want to show to you as the writer of Hebrews so quickly begins to place Jesus in his rightful place as superior, as the better. They're found in verse 1 and 2, and they're meant to contrast the former covenant with the new covenant that God made with his people. And again, these Jewish Christians, they're well-versed in the religious traditions and practices of the Old Covenant. So this has a profound impact upon their thinking. And let me just say this. Think of this for a moment. In terms of being supreme, listen to what supreme means. Supreme means greater in power, greater in authority, greater in rank, Paramount or dominant, greatest in importance, degree, significance, character, or achievement. Supreme means ultimate, and supreme means final, full stop, period. Nothing else to be said. This is what Jesus is, supreme. So these three contrasts in verses 1 and 2 The first is when, and then the writer speaks of how, and then thirdly, he speaks of whom. So he begins with this in the very first verse, long ago, at many times, and in many ways. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways. And then he contrasts it with just words later, he says, in these last days. So not last as in final as in final days of existence, but last as in complete. See, what was once, this picture that the writer of Hebrews is giving to us, what was once partial, fragmented, perhaps incomplete, 
or limited as God spoke throughout history, as God spoke through the prophets to his people. It was partial. It was limited. But now what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what was in those last days is now complete and it's final. There's nothing more, as I said a moment ago, that needs to be said or that will be said apart from what God has already revealed through Jesus Christ. And what does that do for our hearts, church, but, but give us such incredible hope, does it not? There's nothing else that we need to find that is outside of God's revealed truth through Jesus Christ in this word. All of the old covenant finds its meanings and significance in the new covenant of God. So we don't have to go wondering in terms of, let's just say, the canon of Scripture. Do I have what's complete? Or but what about the, the language and translations and, 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 and conversation around inaccuracies or contradictions within Scripture? Church, if this is the whole and complete and final word of God, then we can rest our heads on our pillows at night and our hearts knowing that this is everything that God has intended for us to have. There's nothing outside of this and the revelation of Jesus Christ that we need apart from what he has already given to us. That's a wonderful encouragement. It should be at least. So the first is the when. He contrasts the when, what was once impartial, excuse me, not impartial, what was once partial and incomplete is now final and complete. And then he says, there's a contrast that the writer gives us. What was once by the prophets is now by his son. God is saying in this that they're as great as the prophets of old were. And there were some awesome, amazing prophets that spoke in terms of the weight and the truth and the timeliness of the words that they spoke on behalf of God to his people, as great as they were, they were only a foreshadow of the prophet. They were a foreshadow of the one who would come. And what did they do? But they all spoke and they pointed towards Jesus. They spoke of his coming. They spoke of the salvation that he would bring to his people. This message of deliverance is no longer given in imagery and ritual and sacrifice, but rather it's enfleshed in a man, visible, tangible, and knowable. So what was once mediated by the prophets is now spoken to us through Jesus. He's the final word. And then thirdly, the Hebrew, writer of Hebrews contrasts whom? What used to be to our fathers is now to us. And so you can see in each one of these, he's building a case for the word of God in Jesus to be the supreme, the final, the greatest, the ultimate, and the best. To our fathers, what was once indirect in that it was preserved in story. It was preserved through oration and passed from generation to generation. But today, this message comes directly to us. It came directly to them by God through his spirit and it comes to us even still continually. It comes to us continually and personally. No longer is it just 
as I said, stories or truth passed from generation to generation, but now it's recorded for us, written to be known and to have and to hold and to apply into our lives. So God spoke. God spoke by Jesus, and what did he say? He said that Jesus is the greatest. He said that Jesus is the best, that Jesus is the most supreme and the ultimate and the final revelation of God's will for mankind. And so with the last bit of time that I have here this morning, I want to give three things that are going to find within the, the ensuing verses of verse 3 and verse 4, because all of what I just said sets, sets the stage where the writer of this book then asserts the supremacy of Jesus in three major roles that were previously held by men throughout history in God's covenant with Israel. Again, the Jewish Christians knew this well. He gives these three roles as being the prophet, how Jesus is the better prophet, how Jesus is the better priest, and how Jesus is the better king. And surely the readers, the original readers understood there's no greater prophet than Elijah. There's no greater king than David himself. There's no greater priest than Moses or Aaron was. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that no, Jesus fulfills all three of those roles. Those three roles, significant, as I said, and, and vitally important to the old covenant that God held with his people. Now Jesus sits in place of those three as the greatest and the best of all. And I want to introduce those three because these are really going to consume the majority of our study through Hebrews. So I'm going to introduce them this morning and we'll drill down into them as we go along. <clears throat> Each one of these, God, Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, Jesus is king. These roles, they point to, again, the one who would come to fulfill that role permanently for all time. And they were significant within Israel's history. And they were instituted by God to maintain covenant with Israel. And in addition, not only to maintain covenant, but they revealed to his people his nature, him being God, his nature. And they revealed to his people his character as well. The role of prophet spoke the will of God. The role of priest it, it dealt with the sins of the people and the role of king had to do with the rule and the reign and the lordship over his people. Three roles, prophet, priest, and king. And so the first, that Jesus is the last and the best, is this, Jesus is the better king. And two statements are made to this point, both found in verse two, and look at it with me. It says that he, speaking of Jesus, he appointed the heir of, of all things. He was appointed the heir of all things. And secondly, he says this, that through whom, also speaking of Jesus, he created the world. Through Jesus, God created the world. So Jesus is the better king. Listen to this. Being the heir of all things speaks to Jesus' placement. As the firstborn son, and again, within the Israel's tradition and in, in Israel's um, history, the firstborn son was the rightful heir to all of that family. So Jesus, as the firstborn, 
was the rightful heir to all that was God's, to all of God's kingdom. In principle, it was already his. It just was not yet actualized. And think of it in this way. When an estate is drafted within a family, when an estate is drafted, the contents of that estate are oftentimes, they can be, designated to individuals. In that moment, these contents are theirs only in principle. And it it isn't until the execution of the disbursement of that estate when they actually become theirs and it's realized and it's actualized. This was God's plan for all time, that Jesus Christ would be the heir of all that was his. And the writer of Hebrews he, he, he nails this right out of the gate, that he was appointed the heir of all things. And then secondly, he says this, as the better king, not only is the heir, but he is also Lord. For through whom, through him, God created the world. All things were created for him, as Colossians 1.16 tells us. So that in everything, what does Paul say? He might be preeminent. All things were created for him so that in all things he might be preeminent. Secondly, through whom he created the world. Again, Colossians 1.16, Paul says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authorities or rulers, all things, all things, Say all things. All things were created through him and for him. Nothing speaks greater to the lordship of Jesus Christ than Paul's words here in Colossians or the writer of Hebrews in chapters one, verses two. And church, may I say this, we must avail ourselves to this thinking. And by doing so, what happens is is we bring ourselves into the submission to his lordship, authority, rule, and direction. That's what it means that Jesus is the better king. Again, it has personal, present, lasting implication for our life. It isn't just a head knowledge because we would all say, yes, that Jesus is king. We sung it this morning so wonderfully and and, and so dominant in our lyrics that Jesus is above all. But unless it has practical application and takes real root within our lives. What is the significance of the knowing? It must have an application. We must apprehend that Jesus is the better king, that he sits today enthroned on high, that he sits today in a place of preeminence above all things, that through his life, death, resurrection, and now ascension, He sits as Lord above all, and that includes you, and that includes me. And that includes everything you have and everything that I have. And everything you hold dear and everything that I hold dear. My wife, my children, my extended family, my hobbies, the things I love, all of those are his. He is Lord of all, he controls all, he is above all, and he is worthy of all.
This is what Hebrews tells us. Jesus is the better king. Secondly, Jesus is the better prophet. And Hebrews 1.3 reveals this better place of Jesus Christ when he says this in verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Jesus Christ, the reflection of the nature, character, and will of God is made perfect. As one whose being corresponds exactly to the Father, the Son accurately and exactly reveals the Father. This is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God. And it is through this image that we see God. No word of God has been spoken more clearer or truer than Jesus himself. This is why he is the better prophet. Again, it's not a partial word. It's not a veiled word. It's a clear word. It's a true word. It's a perfect word that God has spoken of himself and revealed of himself in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is where? In the face of Jesus Christ. That the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. As the better and final prophet, Jesus came to establish the will of God upon the earth. Just as the prophet spoke of old, to the will of God for his people and also for the world, so too does Jesus point to the plan of the Father for his chosen people and as well as for all of creation. And the encouragement then that we find in this is that we now know that we can in fact know the will of God for all areas of our life. Why? Because it's revealed in Jesus. Again, we don't have to wonder if what we have been given is partial or incomplete, but we can know and live with assurance that all of what God intends for us to know has been revealed through Jesus Christ and is revealed to us by his word. By seeing Jesus, we see God. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. By seeing Jesus, we see God. By knowing Jesus, we know God. By hearing Jesus' words, understanding the truth of what he spoke, and by following obediently within faith, we can know with absolute assurance that we are walking in the ways of God for our life. We don't have to wonder anymore. We can know. And we must know, and we must live with that assurance that what God has spoken is complete and that we can follow with full of faith, with full assurance, with full confidence in what God has spoken and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the better king. Jesus fulfills the role of the better prophet and now Jesus third and finally is the better priest. 
In verses three and four, they say this so clearly. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this theme will occupy much of the book of Hebrews. But, in it, but, but it is simple in its very essence that Jesus Christ is the better and final priest because he perfectly fulfilled the sacrifice necessary to save mankind from his sin. And we know this, we believe this, we sing of it, we pray it, we study it, but again, let's apply it that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the sacrifice that was necessary to redeem mankind from its sins. And this sacrifice, Hebrew tells us, was offered once for all time. There is no need now for the continuance of the blood of bulls and goats and rams because the blood of Jesus Christ was fully sufficient and fully effective for our redemption. Once for all. Once for all. But what about this sin once for all? What about my past outside of Christ? All these things that perhaps I regret or embarrassed of or wish they would just go away once for all. Jesus' blood fully washes away our past, present, and future sin once for all. Therefore, we can lift our eyes. And as we'll see, the writer of Hebrews says, we can enter in with the full assurance of faith and the confidence in this sacrifice, knowing that we as believers are a pleasing unto God. That when God looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ, his once for all sacrifice, his fully effective, fully sufficient sacrifice once for all. May that stir faith in you today. May it, may it resurrect a sense of confidence in what God has done for you. May you no longer beat yourself up over sin and give yourself to cycles of sin perpetually over and over and over again. God has not only atoned for that, but he's made a way to secure and to redeem us from it once for all. This is what it means that Jesus is the better priest. And in addition, listen to this. Unlike the priests who continually went before God on behalf of the people, Hebrews tells us what? That after he made redemption of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I was reading this week as I was studying uh, uh, one of the commentators said this, and that within the temple, there were no seats for the priests to sit within. The work of the priest was to go in, was to offer sacrifice, and was to leave. And I had never thought of that before. There wasn't anywhere for a priest to sit. And, those, and so the significance of the statement that the writer of Hebrews says that after he made the purification, he sat down at the right hand. It shows this complete finality, but also perpetual and ongoing state 
of the redemption and purification of sin that Jesus Christ made on behalf of us. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And let me say this today, in case you're wondering, he still sits there today. And he will remain there perpetually, offering himself continually on behalf of us as a pleasing sacrifice to God our Father. This is the work of Jesus Christ as the true, better, final priest. What God provided, he also secured. And that security, brothers and sisters, is our assurance. Again, as I said, that when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me in my junk. He sees me as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the work of Jesus as the better priest. Which is why then the writer of Hebrews will say in later chapters, that we don't come to earthly mountains, that we don't come to earthly temples that are built by human hands, but we come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, sprinkled with the blood, and he says this, that speaks a better word. That's what we come to. We come to Jesus, brothers and sisters. We come to Jesus today. Jesus the final word. Nothing more is needed, nothing more is required. Nothing more should we desire than Jesus. See, the revelation of Jesus Christ is the ultimate definitive and conclusive word of God to the world. There isn't more that needs to be said. There isn't more that God hasn't already revealed that he wants to reveal that hasn't already been revealed through his son yet that revelation is still unfolding. It's complete and it's final in Jesus, but it's still unfolding to ourselves and to men and women who are outside of Jesus. Which is why the necessity remains and it's compelled upon us to proclaim the supremacy, the superiority, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ our Lord into all the areas of both our lives as as well as within culture. God is not finished revealing Jesus to the world. And it's now his intent that through us, the church, as we as individuals, make it our aim, as I read in the very beginning, to make the glory of God our supreme and utmost goal. As we make that our aim and we proclaim that Jesus now is the better that Jesus now is the final and the ultimate. As we speak that and profess that and teach that to ourselves, so too do we proclaim that to the world. That is the mission of the church. That is what God has called us to. May the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the conviction of truth and to, by the word of God to our hearts and minds, and as we sharpen each other as iron to iron, May the Lord God give us grace to live in such a way. Can you say amen with me and agree that this is what we have been called to? May God give us the grace to live and to profess him as the way, the truth, the life, the final and ultimate revelation and word of God to the earth today. 
I want to do something just as we end in the minutes that we have left. I'm going to ask the band to come back up again, and I want to end in this song today. We, we have made much of the supremacy of Jesus Christ today. We have spoken, we have sung, we have prayed, we have confessed and professed that it is God who is greatest. And now I want to just finish by responding in worship today. Responding and professing that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. So would you join with me now? Again, maybe stand where you are, and let's come together, and let's sing just as we close our time of worship today.